0: First, my hey, daughter.
1: everybody, you are wa- watching School Psych Podcast. We are back for a part two episode, very excited. Um, a while back, about a year ago, we spoke with some graduate students who um, had gone through their programs and were on the cusp of internship. And um, we're learning all sorts of new and interesting things. Um, And now we've got some of them back to talk about how that internship has gone, the things that they've learned, um, what they would maybe do differently, um, and just some advice from some of you who might be um, looking for internships soon. So um, I'm hoping that we'll have some good questions for them, um, and we'll just check in and, and see how things are going. So anyways, my name is Rachel, and I'm a school psychologist. I'm working in the state of Maryland. Rebecca?
2: Hi everyone. I'm Rebecca. I'm a school psychologist working in the state of Connecticut. Um, I want to remind everyone how to participate. We really hope to hear from you, especially our intern and early career peeps, and actually even our long-term school psych peeps who have advice and thoughts for all of us. Um, It's so helpful, uh, all of your ideas and um, motivational uh, pieces of advice. Um, Participate by going on either of the Facebook pages school psyched your school psychologist you can just uh, post to the page post in messages or the school Psych podcast page of course and also right alongside if you're watching us now on youtube live right alongside the video is a live chat box where um i will be looking for comments questions thoughts ideas we look forward to hearing from you here's anna
0: Hi, I'm Anna. I'm a school psych in upstate New York. So we had a little poll going on our Facebook page, our event page, to um, get advice from all of you out there on what you would tell um, interns going out into their internship year. And we had a lot of great participation, thanks to everyone who participated in that. The very top um, response in the poll is to remember that you are still a student. It's okay to not have all the answers and ask lots of questions. It's um, the point of internship is learning, right? So I love that over 100 people um, wanted to give that advice out there to um, people starting their internship. The second um, place vote in our poll was making time for self-care. It is a very stressful year, and, um, you know, we are kind of, hired for a reason a lot of times like workhorses a little bit so um 68 people said they really want people out there to make sure that they're making time for self-care 61 votes for collaborate with sped teachers ots slps and other professionals in the building for great learning experiences um, it's all about learning 40 votes uh, for people people said don't get upset when you don't know something you will constantly be growing and will never have all the answers learn how to learn Um, 33 votes for stand your ground on ethical issues and do what's right. Ask your mentors for advice and be the best you can for your students. 18 votes make time to talk with other interns and share ideas and experiences. It can be kind of an isolating year compared to grad school when you're like all together. Um, so I love that one. Um, we have, um, 17 votes for know that you'll make mistakes, own them, learn from them, and move on from them. Awesome. 15 votes for don't be afraid to ask for interesting cases, advocate for the experience you want, um, and make a stand that will make you a standout candidate. You know, you want to have a well-rounded experience. You might be hired for the avails, but you know, you want to be able to have all those great experiences. 12 votes for be a team player. Um, another 12 votes for take as many professional development opportunities you can. Um, Memorize these words. Ten votes. Memorize these words. I'm new, so I'm not sure about that, but I will find out and get back to you. (laughs) Uh Um, And, you know, we had some, like – other ones that had less votes than 10 that I won't review. But um, just lots of advice out there. And we're going to have like some nice, fresh reflection on people who are wrapping up their internship as we speak. Um, we have Alyska, Krista, and Ripley with us. Thank you guys so much for coming back um, to talk with us again. I'm going to ask each of you to just um, introduce yourself. Alyska, I'll start with you.
3: Hi, I'm Alyska. Um, I am currently, well, I guess I graduated, so I'm done with school. At Western Carolina University in North Carolina and I'm also completing my internship in North Carolina in a pretty rural district um, so it's been a very big learning experience um, but I've definitely taken taken the advice of asking questions and constantly learning and I know talking with experienced school psychologists is that that'll never stop so I think I'm comfortable with that aspect of it so
0: great. Krista tell us about yourself
4: great Hi, I'm Krista. I'm in Denver, Colorado, and I currently am doing my internship at a private school for preschool through eighth grade for students who are gifted and then with a dual exceptionality. And then I spend two days a week at the Department of Education here in Colorado. And so I've had a pretty unique experience for internship, pretty different than most students. So it's been it's been interesting to talk um, before the podcast about how different it was because I just the number of assessments, just that number right there is quite
0: different, so. Thank you. Ripley, tell us a little bit about yourself. Introduce
3: yourself. Yes, hi.
5: Um, my name is Ripley, and I'm in the Portland, Oregon area, and I just recently graduated um, a week ago, or actually now two weeks ago, from uh, George Fox University in the Portland, Oregon area, and I'm currently at, at three schools right now. I'm at a, a middle school a high school and an elementary school. I have uh, two supervisors um, that I work with and it's been, uh, I've had a great variety of things I've uh, done in my internship site. I've been able to lead some social emotional um, curriculum. I've been able to be a part of a DBT group in the high school and I've been able to, uh, to do a tragedy response. Um, which was very. I learned so much from everyone, and I really love my internship site and all the people that I've gotten the chance to work with.
1: Awesome! Very cool. So it seems like um, I mean we hear sometimes kind of horror stories about internships, that I think the most most of the time, you know, they work out pretty well, and it's such a huge learning experience. Um, so overall impressions, pretty good from from the three of you. You had a good year. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, cool. I'm seeing some nods. Can it, can maybe um, you tell us maybe the most interesting or best experience or what what was the, the thing that you learned the most from the most valuable? Um, well, you want to start,
3: um, Aliska? Sure. Um, I think the most valuable thing I have learned is, um, my people skills kind of come into play. Um, where I've done a really good job, I think I'm just going to brag a little bit, I guess. Um, on how I communicate with the teachers and the whole team, the whole IEP team throughout the testing process to make sure that what I'm seeing is consistent with what I'm seeing in the school or what they're seeing in the classroom. And then I contact parents to make sure that it's consistent at home as well. Um, Although my district is a little rural, so parent involvement is rare, um, but trying at least to get them involved has been a unique experience to say the least. Um, but it, I think learning to really collaborate well with all members of the team throughout the testing process as well as at the meeting, I think is really important. Awesome.
1: Uh, Krista. Um, what
4: I've learned most or what I've,
1: um, I feel
4: is I've done the best, it, honestly, I feel I've really learned how to have boundaries. This sounds like very odd, but... I've had five emails right now and having to manage all these emails and response times and because I'm at the state we have a response time that we have to get back to people but yet I'm not supposed to check it outside of work so all these different um, things coming at me and different like we have our professors we have our school we have my other job and so just really understanding boundaries and time Um, but then also working with families who a lot of families would come to our school because what school one didn't work out. And then school B, the student had extreme behavior, so he got expelled. And they are just kind of at a loss of what to do. And so having families, really explaining to families who can, we can, there, is op- there are options and there are places for students. And so just being able to see families realize that their student can be successful and being able to have them see, see that success.
1: Very cool. Yeah. Ripley, any thoughts?
5: Yeah. For uh, me, the biggest thing that I've learned in my internship is that I can be myself. I had this uh, viewpoint that I should, like, of this school psychologist talking like this. And, you know, this is a cognitive, you know, and I didn't have to do that. And I kind of got comfortable being my own brand of school psychologist. And in uh, my district, there are 41 school psychs. And each Mm -hmm. of them have a different vibe, a different, you know, flavor, so to speak. And the fact that I was able to bring myself uh, and merge it with the profession was awesome. Um, I was able to do some acting, do some improv in actually some of the lessons I taught to uh, students. And because of that, it it was able to be memorable to them, which I think was pretty awesome. So just learning that I can be myself and there's no one way to be a school psych.
2: Very awesome. I love all those three uh, comments. So I just want to um, respond that I think the people skills and the boundaries and being yourself, they're such important points for all of us every year because um, often we have imposter syndrome. I know this conversation has happened on Facebook before where school psychs for, for even school psychs with so many years of experience um, – Sometimes feel like oh my gosh, is this the, the one? Is this going to be the day where I just have no clue what to do, and they're going to discover that I'm, you know, not the awesome school psych that I thought I was or they thought I was. And the email thing recently, I saw an article in from a business uh, journal that said, "Stop apologizing for an untimely response." And it yeah. was really interesting because um, I do that too, and sometimes it's. If I got the email in the morning and I'm responding in the afternoon, and when you think about that, that's so ridiculous. <laughs> so I like that having that, being aware, being mindful that we don't we we are just we're only human, and we need to prioritize the way we need to prioritize the way we know will best serve our students and ourselves, um, and our people skills, our communication skills, and just being uh, true to ourselves. So important. So I thought those were great. And my question that I had for each of you guys, um, what did you find the most surprising in your internships experience? Was there one thing beyond these three points that you were sort of expecting or that uh, just came out of the blue that really surprised you? Alyssa, we'll start with you. We'll go in same order.
3: Um, I wouldn't say that I've
2: ever been surprised at
3: anything because um, I had the support system uh, within my cohort. We have a group text that is constantly going on with questions that we have. Um, I can email my supervisor at any point in time or text her uh, with any questions that I had. I had a number of people in the school that if I had any questions. So, really, nothing really took me by surprise. Um, I don't know if that's to commend the graduate school where I attended school with how they prepared me. Um, but I try to stay in the know as best as I can. I read the NASP um, emails that come in with all the updated information. I follow school forum on Facebook and everything. So I think by staying in the know that way, nothing can nothing really takes me by surprise, that makes sense. That's awesome.
4: Um, my surprise is because probably the SES I work with I've had my cred- credentials questioned that families just want to see my credentials they want to see my um, endorsement for the state and they want to know my background before I'm allowed to work with their student and so it's my placement and then also the SES of the and the education of a lot of our families are fairly. Really, highly educated families and so it's they sometimes wouldn't even want me to work with their student because I'm the intern. So that was the most surprising thing to me.
1: Wow that's interesting. I I remember from my internship site um, they had a letter went out to all the families that I was going to work with so that families had the option to say no thanks type of thing but I have honestly never been questioned from a credential so that's that's interesting. I've heard of other sites that yeah that totally depends on um, who
5: you're working with type of thing. Um, But I have an interesting. Mm -hmm. And the most surprising thing uh, for me was kind of how autonomous the role is. Mm -hmm. I worked in customer service for like 10 years of my life. And so I've always used to somebody else kind of saying how, you know, what I was going to do. And the fact that I had so much that I could plan was amazing. Then also how even as an intern, uh, some school staff viewed me as uh, the expert so, mm-hmm. uh, I was in a meeting, I think it was yeah. in November, and uh, I was a vice principal, learning specialist, and a school counselor, and they said, oh, well, you know, that's why you're here. We need an expert, and I kind of did this. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I literally thought somebody else came in, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> so getting used to that and realizing that some, that, you know, a lot of people don't have our knowledge, you know, they might have one portion or another, but not both. And that's just, that was, I think the most surprising thing to me.
1: (laughs) That's awesome. That's hilarious. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Lovely. (laughs) Um, Okay. what did you guys feel that you were most prepared for or something that you were well prepared for? Um,
3: I think the thing I was most prepared for was assessments Um, where we are in North Carolina I think uh, we're a very test in place kind of state, um, or at least we're trying to head away from that. Uh, but right now, that's where we are at. That's the harsh reality of things. Um, so, my schooling was heavily into the assessment world, where first year we had a psychological assessment one and two, where we learned I don't, I said it last year, how many assessments we learned. Um, so, I think that broad knowledge really helped me in assessing and i think that's where i was most comfortable in um and where i was the most prepared for was the assessments which made the rest of the stuff a little scarier with counseling um which i had some help with but um i think assessments is where i'm at for sure yeah i can
1: i can uh, agree with the whole north carolina test in place thing mm-hmm. i, I- was there for a couple years. And I think there were some years that I did over a hundred evaluations, which looking back, I'm like, whoa, <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> that is a lot.
4: Um, for me, it's definitely the functional behavior assessment process with following with the behavior plan. Um, mm-hmm. And then also just RTI and MTSS within schools. Our, um, our program really hits that hard because in Colorado, it is such an F- emphasis. Um, when you go into school, you're expected to be the expert in RTI and MTSS. So we learn a lot about it. And so that's probably what I felt more most
5: comfortable with. And for me, I felt most comfortable with uh, doing the assessments, but then also a huge part of it was the counseling portion, mm. um, because our program is actually um, housed in the same area as mental health counseling. So took a lot of the same classes with Mental health counselors, family therapists, et cetera. So I was able to get that experience. Um, and I think that I was really prepared for that, and that helped me well.
2: That's awesome. We we have um, a viewer who uh, commented that she'll be an intern in the fall and she's most looking forward. I I asked her what she's most looking forward and what maybe she's most slightly nervous about. And she said, um, most looking forward to being a part of the team and using the skills she's been learning over the last few years in her program and most nervous about holding meetings on her own. So that really resonates with me. I was so nervous about meetings, but I think Um, If you have a good relationship with your supervisor, they give you just enough support before they let you really, really fly. And so I think uh, speaking to those um, worries and concerns before the meeting can be really helpful. Just that clear communication about here's what, you know, what if they ask this question or what should I do in this situation? Um, And I did find that the the after every meeting those nerves did subside you know so by the end of the meeting season I felt really good just being myself and and talking to parents so I hope uh, you guys had that same experience about meeting was anyone else nervous about um, their meetings Haliska were you um yes
3: definitely my very first meeting was placing a student from DD to ID moderate so. All in all, that's just not an easy thing to do, I think, anytime, time um, because the parents had no idea that we were going that route. Um, the policy in our district is to uh, send home an IEP 10 days, like a draft IEP 10 days before, which I'm not a fan of because it's a team decision, um, and sending home a draft IEP is, kind of finalizes it. So it generally, it kind of subsides the worries of the parents because they know what's happening. But at the same time, um, with the socioeconomic status being pretty low in the area that I'm working at, most parents don't read it. Um, so that was interesting because i got some meeting the mom so that her future, her wishes as a student were to be a doctor. Um, so it was it's kind of hard navigating that and being able to really explain what we saw and how we can best help her uh, while also keeping it a little realistic at the same time. Um, was hard, and I think every meeting whenever it's a new label that I haven't um, gone through yet, like last week I did an SCD label. It was my first time placing a student SCD, which I'm not sure if it's same word, serious emotional disability um, and that's hard too. I think the nerves keep coming up when it's a new area, but I think with more practice and um, doing it more, I think it'll be better, but every kid is different, so the new there's different nerves depending on what parents you deal with if you know how involved they are how knowledgeable they are um if they bring an advocate that's a whole new sets of nerves though so, yeah it just depends on the case
1: you know and i think though I totally agree that you're, there's new sets of nerves for each new situation that you're in. Um, And then eventually you kind of, you know, once you've done the ID placement, you know, enough times it kind of subsides, but it's always good to keep in mind. I have to remind myself sometimes that although I'm doing like my, what seems like my 15th LD placement for the day and like, you know, I just go through the motion. Sometimes I need to take a step back and be like, Hey, this is this is a big deal for this family, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. And it's like, I try not to get into that. Just um, automaticity of doing what I'm doing because it is brand new to the people on the other side of the table. Yeah. So um, I've got a question, too, kind of um, related to what we were talking about. Um, supervision. So um, how are you guys supervised both on site as far as, you know, the site that you're working under? Um, how, how is that worked out? And then also with your contact with your, your university and coursework? And stuff like that. Um, Let's let's go the opposite. Let's pick on Ripley first.
5: Ripley, yay, being picked on, awesome. (laughs) Um, So uh, supervision, I had uh, two supervisors, and um, it was kind of the first. You know, they're gonna model, like for example, how to do assessments, how to run the meetings. After a couple times of doing that, then I took over a little bit more with them being, uh, for example, in the meeting room with me and. So eventually now the point where I'm doing kind of everything on my own. And what they do is they just kind of sign off on the reports that I do. in, in regards to university supervision, um, my supervisor came to visit uh, one of my sites uh, back in the winter and then uh, just recently um, back in April. And um, yeah, I, I think I have a lot of good supervision right now. I'm at a site um, on my own. Uh, for a day and a half, and I'm able to email them or text them or call them and ask for some help if I do need any
2: that's great yeah um did Did anyone feel as though they had to seek um, other support beyond the university supervisor or the place or the um, supervisor at your placement? I know that that was something that. Um, it really helped me to, and this was probably my comment in the poll. Uh, it really helped me to collaborate with just other professionals in the building. The special ed teachers were so helpful in, um, brainstorming ideas, activities, uh, everything really, they were really helpful. The, the speech language pathologist, there was an OT that was in the building sometime and, um, those people were really helpful to me in, in terms of, you know, supervision or collaboration. Did anyone else feel like that they benefited from reaching out for help beyond supervisors?
4: For me, it was mainly our OT. So we have a lot of students with self-regulation and sensory and autism. And so I had didn't have that much experience with sensory or autism. And so I worked with her a lot um, as developing plans, de- developing behavior plans, and then also working with students. So we would work together with a group of students versus um, working on different things, different ways. So we had a common language and a common approach.
3: Okay. Yeah, I would say that um, the people in the building itself of where the students are at are the people that I go to first because yeah. they are, they know the students that I'm talking about. Um, if it's a grant scheme thing, of school psychologists related, then I would go to my um, supervisor at the district. And then if it's greater than that, where it's more of a question of they're doing this this way here, but I'm wondering if maybe the way that we learned it was different, I'll go to my university supervisor, kind of build upon that. Um, but I mostly collaborate with the people within the building themselves. Mm-hmm. Interesting, because before we we aired, we were talking a little bit um, about
1: the role that the university plays. Now, my university, you know, I was enrolled in a course for for internship, um, and I think I had, like, two or three phone calls with somebody back. Now, I I interned across the country from where I went to school, but so we had kind of a phone call check-in, but there were no actual assignments due. Um, I wasn't... There wasn't coursework or anything like that, and when I said that, I, I got some reactions like "what"? Because so, um, did you guys have a lot of coursework to do in in conjunction with all the responsibilities that you had as interns?
4: We had a very large case study we had to do over a period of time, showing growth, showing implementation, fidelity, all the different things. We had to show every component of the NAS practice model. Um, mm-hmm. It was a pretty Lengthy case study, and then we also had to do monthly blog um, posts on Canvas. We had quarterly meetings in person. We had to do a professional development presentation to staff that with an evaluation. We had a lot. Well, wow.
2: uh, <laughs> I lucked out. <laughs> yeah, my experience yeah. is similar too, um, but and I felt as though my own project at the end of the semester wasn't very good. I didn't devote as, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I felt like it was okay. It was sort of the best I could do. It wasn't my priority. My priority mm-hmm. was my, you know, was my um, students and my workload in the in my placement. But I did learn a lot from other interns and their presentations. I, I felt like that was really helpful. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So I guess even if it's not maybe your necessarily your best effort, there is a value to that process. Yeah. At my um,
3: university, we're required to submit four psychological reports. Uh, we had to do two individual counseling cases and two group counseling cases, a behavior study and a behavior case study, and an academic case study, a system-wide intervention, and um, then we had—I uh, think we had four meetings uh, through mm-hmm. Skype with our supervisor and all the interns or all of our members of our cohort. Um, So that was a lot because um, like you said, your brain is more in the building with the students and I really don't want to do those assignments. But I mean, I'm still working with real life students that really need help and support with the counseling and the case study. So I'm invested in that, but then the writing up of the report for the university kind of took the back burner of things um, because that's not the fun part. Um, Same with writing reports in general. Um, um, Yeah, that was a little rough, but I think we, our requirement from our university was pretty extensive.
5: And for us, we had to um, write a a long case study. We had to show four video examples of ourselves, uh, either working with students um, (laughs) presenting to a class or working with another professional within the um, school. Uh, we also had to submit a portfolio for uh, the Teacher Standards and Practice Commission since our program uh, isn't approved through NAS. That's another uh, thing that I'll have to do in another portfolio. But basically, uh, what happens is we filled in examples, kind of almost like the NAS thing, of uh, examples of our work showing that we met each standard. And then we had a current school psych look over it, give feedback on it. They gave feedback also on a theoretical orientation paper that we wrote. And then from there, gave feedback on the case study that we wrote, too. So uh, we actually did meet every Tuesday night for about two hours uh, for the internship class since the start of internship to uh, last month.
2: Wow.
0: We have a great viewer question. Um As an intern supervisor myself, is there anything that you might want someone like me to know or understand in order to better support current interns in school psych? Good question.
5: (laughs) (laughs) I was gonna say though, one thing at least for, I think both of my supervisors are really good at is knowing kind of what my limits are before I did. Because uh, I think as an intern, you're like, oh, yeah, I can do everything. I only have to sleep two hours. Yeah, perfect. I can do that. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> they were going to be like, ah, you know what, We're we're. I'm going to do this report. I <laughs> think you have enough things to do. So mm-hmm. just kind of knowing your intern's limits and, you know, seeing when they're kind of getting to uh, their ceiling.
1: I will say that I, I think that that mentality of, oh, yes, I've got it. I've got it covered, like, last several years beyond the internship. I <laughs> I was only, like, I, a couple years into it that I was like, okay, I don't need to be doing
3: all this stuff all the time. <laughs> I agree. I think a big thing, too, is um, just relaying the message of boundaries of, you know, the job. The way that I was told by our UC director, which was lucky for us, Is that do what you can in the hours that you're working? Um, Because if you go above and beyond and work throughout the uh, hours in the night, then it looks like you're able to do it with no problem. And then they'll feel, HR will feel that they don't need to hire any more school psychs for the following year because it looks doable. So um, I've set the boundary of only working the hours that I'm actually there. And the moment I leave, I don't check my email. Or if I do, I just read it, but I don't respond. So I really left everything at work and I'm enjoying home life at home, which I think has helped with my mental sanity. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's a good message to relay to interns, even if you don't practice it yourself necessarily. Because I know it's not easy to do.
0: I gotta piggyback on that one. So when I was an intern, I had a newborn baby at home. Um, and so like, you know, I had to pick up from daycare, all this stuff. Like I could not work beyond the hours. Like I, you know what I mean? I couldn't and I didn't. And the previous year, like the previous year's intern did. So one of the supervisors was like counting up how many avails I did and was not pleased with the number of avails I did at the site. I was at one day a week because this intern last year was an overachiever and was taking work home. And so like, Like what you just said, like you're also like paving the way for next year's interns so they can like work a realistic caseload and have a life and like be a parent or like do whatever they want to do. So I think that that is so important. And um, I'm going to fast forward to skipping over questions because it relates. So how many avails did you guys do in your internship year? I think I did like 40 something. Um, What about you? I'm going to go to you, Krista, because I know I I missed this part of the conversation earlier.
4: Um, so I think I've done
0: eight cognitives,
4: and I've done partial or whole about 30 academic achievements, and I've done almost 40 FBAs, Functional Behavior Assessments. So because of my unique placement, because I'm part-time at a school, and part-time at the Department of Ed, it does cut down on that time. So I've I not done as many assessments, but in the state of Colorado, you're not going to do very many cognitives. I've talked to my friends who have worked full-time, and they only do about 10 a year, so.
2: Wow.
3: Yeah. I told Krista earlier that after this, everyone's going to move to Colorado. (laughs) Come. We have open positions. Come. What's your number, Alyssa? Give us a ballpark. Um, I'll be at 28 at the end of the year. Um, I'm at an elementary and a middle school, and the middle school only had about five Um, Most of them were just re-evals or um, they moved in from out of the county. Um, And then my elementary school was put in an awkward position with our Title I reading specialist going pretty much MIA on medical leave for two and a half months. So we didn't feel comfortable referring students for testing for an initial because we weren't sure if they'd been getting their interventions with fidelity and integrity. So um, we kind of plugged away at their interventions and kept Kind of tweaking and going with it and hoping for the best um but that kind of put us in an awkward position which i don't know <laughs> kind of lowered my number so i'm okay with that at the same time
0: ripley give us a number
5: uh, mine at the end of the year is going to be around 46 Great. and
0: uh <laughs> sorry go ahead
5: oh i was just going to say and um that's it, is I think less than most of the school sites I've done in, in uh, the district that I'm at.
3: Yeah, I think um, the school sites in my district are at 70, 75. Um, but there's a school site that just got hired to move into the county where I'm at, and they she was at one hundred and fifty. Yeah. So. I think um, it was- I wanted- I remember being asked,
1: um, because after my internship, I did an internship in um, Nevada and then moved to North Carolina for my first year. Um, And I remember internship, I did 40 or so. Um, We were RTI and it was mostly academic achievements. And when I moved to North Carolina, um, they asked me kind of, because they were all, I think everyone in North Carolina the district that I was in in North Carolina was like, oh, we do way too many. And they asked me coming in, you know, and I said about 40 and they're like, oh my goodness, see see how it is in other places. But I think that a lot of this comes down to um, in part, I mean, I, I, districts are different and staffing is different everywhere. Um, and I always tell people that if you're not happy and if you're overworked, you know, look to move because don't look to leave the profession, you know, look to move because um, it's better other places. Um, but I think a lot of it does come down to how we conceptualize LD in the district or state that we work in. So if you're a, you know, PSW d- district, if you're a discrepancy district, um, you're giving those cognitives, and if you're not, you're you're really not. You're doing eight cognitives a year because you're only doing it for um, ID kids type yeah. of type of thing. So how how are you guys looking at LD? Where you're at? Alaska.
5: We used
3: um, so we did discrepancy at my university and in my practicum site, but now I'm doing PSW, um, which is definitely very different, but it allows me to pull from so many different tests that it's actually really awesome to see how everything ties together.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay.
5: Ripley? Uh, we use the PSW model, mm-hmm. and that's been uh, – it's nice to kind of have uh, a laid-out way to be able to look for it and to be able to kind of tie that in also with um, interventions that the students are getting to see if they're successful and from their um, using the PSW model when they're referred.
4: Krista? So in Colorado, um, for LD learning disabilities, SED serious emotional disabilities and I'm not 100% certain but I'm pretty sure for OHI as well it is required in state legislation that we use response to intervention. So we are required to use response to intervention within a multi-tiered system of support.
1: Mm-hmm. Hence the ACOG <laughs> <and> the
0: ACOG <laughs> Yes, yes. Awesome. So what do you guys feel like you were least prepared for, you know, now that you've had all this time out there in the world? Aleska.
3: Um, I guess delivering the bad news in meetings of the ID kids and stuff like that. um, I felt like I was, you know, we always talk about you have to focus on the positive as well as, you know, the areas of difficulty. And I think with my lack of comfort with presenting that information, I focused a lot on the positive and um, didn't keep it as realistic as I should have in my first couple of meetings of where their students sat. so I think that's probably where I was least prepared for, is delivering, the, oh, it's not necessarily bad news, um, but. Difficult news. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah bad I news say. is the bad news, but, but yeah. Uh, mine,
4: mine was uh, family, the family part of families coming in and asking about what to do for their own needs, and then also teachers. So the more adult consultation and adult, brief counseling. I would get teachers coming in and saying, what should I do? Or talk to me about their own personal emotional things at home. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I need to set the boundaries and I need to make it clear that I'm here for our students. If it is affecting our students, I can help you or I can refer you to some possible people or give you a list of who to contact or some ideas. Um, but I can't be a one on one
5: for you. Mm-hmm. For me the most difficult uh, thing that I fellow I wasn't prepared for was actually teacher pushback. Um, when teachers mm-hmm. felt like, uh, for example, a disability wasn't disability, it was a child just acting up or, you know, that they're using their disability as an excuse to get away with things. And especially when things like that are said for the first time to you at a meeting and you just kind of have this deer in a headlight look like, oh, what <laughs> you just bring this up now? Let's see how I can answer it. So that, and then um, also something I wasn't quite as prepared for, which is unusual in my district, was uh, doing IEP uh, progress notes for uh, counseling students that uh, a lot of people in my cohort actually didn't, don't even have to do that at all. So it was something new that I had to uh, get guidance on and how to do successfully
2: i'm just curious from krista because you're in a private school like i am Uh, i love the private school world i I, I like the stability um the autonomy i just i love it um is there anything that you can see from your private school experience that are pros and cons Um,
4: The pro is the buy-in. So the teachers, the families, they all have bought in, right? They're there for a reason. They know that we have a unique school with unique needs and unique supports. Um, Like I said, 50% of our kids are twice exceptional. So they have all these different needs. And so our classrooms are just very unique in their structure and their day. Um, The one con about private is expulsion, right? So the removal of the student from the school is a lot easier and there needs, there's less data and less things. Um, I don't know. It's just hard because it doesn't always agree with my morals and my values, but it it is in a line with the school. So it, it, there's a discrepancy there, but it's, it's been a unique place to learn um, and a lot of unique families. And we have families that have moved here from Russia and we have families who um, are professors at the university. So a lot of diversity in, and that
2: those
0: was ways, Very cool. What advice do you guys have for um, incoming interns?
3: I think the advice that you guys um, received from the poll was actually really good advice of understanding that you're still a student, ask questions. I have never been felt, uh, I've never been made to feel like my question was dumb or um, Anything like that? I think every question is a reasonable question. Just explain where you're coming from. Of if it does feel like it's a dumb question, explain where you're coming from with how you learned it in school and how you're seeing it differently in your internship site, and where where does the truth lie? I guess. And um, asking those questions and don't take work home. So. <laughs>
4: Um, my advice is to have an organization system. So be organized from the beginning. So have an X, we have to document every hour, quarter of hour of everything we do. So document using an Excel, right? Like having that starting from the beginning. So that way, when you're three-fourths of the way through the year, you're not trying to total everything up, but it's just automatically doing it for you um, if you use Excel. And then, go to as many trainees as possible. So I've been able to do assist training, youth mental health first aid, um, some various conferences. And because you are an intern, you should be allowed to go to more, right? You need to learn more. And so our my internship placements have been very open with that concept.
5: And for um, me, I think something that's been very helpful is relying on my uh, cohort. And just having that time to be able to vent, share funny stories. Um, I At first, I was like, oh, we have to meet every Tuesday night. That's so much. But it that support that I got from them, I think, really helped. And then also prepping your support system outside of grad school and outside of school that things are going to get crazy. If you're living with someone else, you know, letting them know, I'm going to actually need you to do some more of the housework <laughs> because... <laughs> Despite everything that's going on, you know, I do have internship. We still have to wash dishes and, you know, do clothes and fold laundry and, you know, deal with, you know, pets or children or, you know, whatnot, mm-hmm. unexpected things happen. Um, and also if you do have questions and you're like, oh, you know, I feel this is going to be a dumb question. Um, have some proposed answers and present them to your supervisor. So, you know, like I have this question. I was going to do an A or B. What do you think? And then I think that puts in a little bit more control because then your supervisor's um, thinking like, oh, you, you know, he or she has thought of some options for this uh, situation.
2: That's a great proactive point. And I think it's echoed by our viewer who is also a in, supervisor of interns. He says, I asked him what he thought um, were the best qualities of his best interns. And he he says, I think those interns who are eager to learn but also willing to ask questions, I don't expect anyone to know everything, and likewise, I don't expect them to do my job, but I hope that they are eager and interested. So that really reflects what Ripley was just saying. I don't mind a little hand-holding for the first few months, but I hope that they become as independent as possible. I always want them to focus on the nasty practice model, and gain um, as much assessment. I think that was what I cut off um, in my copy paste. But, yeah, that really reflects what you guys have all been saying. What I'm wondering, too, as we um, come up on our our next question, is that one of the big issues right now facing our field is the school psychologist shortage um, and it's, it's, it's really concerning because not as many people are um, going into programs and not as pe- many people are staying in the field. Do you have any thoughts on uh, – you guys seem really positive and you had good experiences and you're all ready for next year to be uh, early career people. So I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on the shortage and, and, you know, maybe why this is happening or what we could say to people to bring them to this great – profession. Alyssa, what do you think? Um,
3: I definitely do see a shortage when I look at the websites where the jobs are posted. And at the same time, I'm hopeful. Um, I was a cohort of three, um, whereas our next year's cohort is seven, and the current first year is moving to second year. There's 12. Mm-hmm. So I do see an increase in people applying. I think that comes with us advocating for our jobs and sharing and spreading the word about what we do. Um, I didn't know about school psychology before I even really looked to apply for the position and that kind of fell into my lap um, to attend school for school psychology. I think just continue advocating and hopefully that shortage will dwindle because I know the need will continue to increase.
2: Yeah. Good point. What do you think, Krista?
3: Um, Well, here in Colorado,
4: we have a significant shortage. We have over 50 positions open for next school year, Um, and it is dire. These are positions that are open and most of the people in my cohort already have jobs. And so it's becoming a crisis where we don't have school psychologists to do the work in the schools. Um, And during my time at the Department of Education, they are working to try to fill those shortages, Um, but there's only so much you can do. They're looking into reclassification of clinical psychologists to school psychologists, um, they're talking about going to talk to undergraduate psych and education programs and trying to get them to look into school psychology and just educate them about the field. But there's only so much you can do when the openings are now. And so I know different districts in the state have gone to New York and have gone to conferences in, across the nation to try to recruit because we do have such a shortage here in our area. Yeah.
5: We had some recruitment that actually happened at our uh, education fair in Oregon from places like Alaska, Colorado, yeah. <laughs> uh, Arizona, yeah. Utah. Everyone was trained to you know lure us in. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it's that
4: interesting because cho- our sh- shortages aren't just the rural areas; it's also mm-hmm. in our urban areas too. So it's okay. kinda It's confusing. <laughs> I,
5: I really think it's um, part of it. Might even be kind of like the the almost like a PR issue where in in undergrad, I've never even heard of school psychology until I was in grad school. And I think letting freshmen, you know, just starting out of college know about this field, even maybe in high school, um, like the seniors, letting them know because it's a a great field and Mm -hmm. we do need more people. And I think just starting to let them know as as soon as possible. one of my counseling students actually asked a little bit about my job, and so I gave him something the nasty handout. No, just kidding, but I did kind of <laughs> summarize a little bit about what I did because, you know, yeah. I'm planting the seeds now. Who knows?
3: Yeah, sure. <laughs> I could be a part of our high school school psychologist's jobs of spreading the word and doing more of that work, of yeah. meeting with groups of students. Um, I'll be working elementary school and hopefully preschool, so it won't be me. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Getting the word here now. If you're a high school school psych- psychologist, that might be a a cool route to go because I definitely had no idea about it.
4: Mm-hmm. Okay. And most high school school psychologists here in Colorado do SOS signs of suicide training. They also do a plug for school psychologists. So I know they're trying to do it in high schools, but yeah, it's it's hard to get people to go, to join the field.
2: Yeah, and, and I think that. Um, Ripley, you're, you're onto something when you say it's like a PR problem because there is burnout in every single field. So when um, school psychologists express that online and, you know, in other places, I think on the one hand, it's normal. No matter what your career field is, you're going to experience um, overwhelm, I think, in, in this world, in this modern world. But uh, on the other hand, um I think we need to be careful as school psychologists how we how we communicate that because, um, you, you know, it negatively also, it's sort of like ruminating in what's awful. It's bad for us. It's bad for our kids. And it's not the only choice. There's so many wonderful things about the job and about uh, working with kids. And we are um, – trained communicators. We, we should be able to advocate for ourselves in order to advocate for our students. So I think we need to uh, also take leadership opportunities in our buildings and in our roles and um, and get involved with um, NASP or Division 16. Those kinds of things make such a difference. School psychologists are a really fun group of people. <laughs> I really like hanging out with all of you guys.
5: <laughs> one, one thing that i i did in uh one of my schools now just thinking about it uh one of the um instructional assistants actually asked what i did because she was wanting to kind of go through this route and i've actually had two different people so i think even more just going um and talking to the people within the schools too would yeah. might also be a great help
1: mm-hmm. well, i just wanted it- to share that And it's so nice to hear when um you know before we aired too i asked you guys if you had jobs lined up and and, you know all three of (laughs) you are like oh yeah um so it's nice to hear that although obviously i'm sad that there's a shortage but it's good that schools are looking and you know jobs jobs are out there so if we address some of the stuff that you're talking about hopefully we'll start to see a difference with that and even it out a little bit more but it's got to be a relief to have something lined up right (laughs) yes Yeah. Um, And that kind of brings it to another question, too, about um, pay. Now, some internships are paid internships. um, Some are not. Um, Did you guys have paid internships? And then uh, there was also something came up earlier about kind of these gaps in pay where you're finishing your internship and now you've got the summertime. And then, you know, your job's starting and you'll, your first paycheck will be in September. And so there's talk about, you know, part-time jobs or jobs over the summer and things like that. How are you guys handling that? Are, are people in your cohort getting jobs? What type
3: of jobs are these? Tell us a little bit. Um, Alyska. Um, I'm not sure what members of my cohort are doing over the summer. Um, I'll be looking for some pretty easy money with child care jobs or something like that. Because um, that's where my our area of expertise is in childcare, I guess, a little bit. So um, that's kind of where I'm looking at just for the two months. But like I express, it's, it's hard to find a job just for two months because I'm not gonna look at that for long-term, So obviously I have a job lined up. Um, so that that's a different challenge as well, is finding something that has the flexibility to not need you after two months. Yeah, yeah. Krista?
4: Um, knowing this from previous school psychs about this gap, that. So I've actually, I paid my rent for three months ahead. So I'm already paid through July, which was really smart. Um, But I'm also going to be babysitting and I do get paid through June. So I only have like a month and a half of a gap, but I know people have done like Lyft and Uber and people bartend, a lot of people babysit, um, pretty much anything and everything I've heard of. So it depends on where you are mainly. Mm -hmm.
1: For Sure. I, I like. I mean, you mentioned before the organization and being organized, and now that the paying in advance and everything, I can tell you're very, you're <laughs> on top <laughs> What about you, Ripley? Uh,
5: well, uh, for me, uh, the first time the pay gap was between uh, when I started my internship um, and ending my job as an instructional assistant, and I actually worked as a um, kind of like Uber, but it was for cleaning services, so I actually was cleaning houses, and ended up actually cleaning the house of one of the teachers I ended up working with, which was different, so they saw me in a different context, not cleaning toilet, but, you know, in uh, the conference room. (laughs) And uh, for this gap, I'm actually going to be working um, with a moving company, and some people in my cohort are um, doing some work with some summer camps, and um, it's kind of what I've heard for now. And there's also some positions with like the extended school year where they're looking at being, um, like IAs in there too, which is kind of odd that you're going to go from a school psych to an IA, but bills got to be paid. (laughs) Very,
2: very
1: cool. Um, so we're close to wrapping up now. So if anybody who's watching who has any final questions, um, get those in and we'll be sure to ask them. Um, And I want to thank you guys for coming in and sharing with us and updating us. Um, And then I also want to remind people we've got some other uh, podcasts lined up on 521. We're going to be talking about social media and its role in school psychology and professional development. And we're going to be trying to coordinate a concurrent Twitter chat. So if anybody... um, is Twitter savvy and wants to join in on that or doesn't know anything about Twitter, um, we're going to walk you through it on the video, hopefully. And hopefully it won't be a huge disaster. I'm going to be learning as we go, too. Um, And we're going to have some really cool uh, people on to help us with that. Um, And then on 6-4, we've got APA's uh, Division 16 Early Career Work Group is going to come and talk to us about their work. So we're excited for that. And then we're going to be kind of on our summer hiatus. But in the fall, we're looking for... um, some really interesting stuff maybe with uh, Dr. Flanagan and PSW and cross battery and stuff. So we're already excited for that. Some people have been asking for her. So hopefully that'll come uh, to fruition. But um, Rebecca, do you see any other final questions, final
2: thoughts from anybody? I don't think so. I don't see any right now. So um, I think that we are good. And I, I, um Don't have any myself, but I just want to share my appreciation also for you guys being here and sharing with us. I know that we have a lot of uh, interns who watch and uh, listen on iTunes, and um, they will benefit from your uh, advice and experiences. So, thank you so much for coming on. All right. You're welcome. Thank you for having us. All right. Bye, everybody.